Hello, and welcome to the Better People Podcast. Um, today, uh, I will be your host. My name is Holly DePama, and I am joined by Valerie Utzi, who is the um, Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer for the Independent Community Bankers of America Association. And welcome, Valerie. Um, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Holly. Yeah. How are you today? Doing excellent. It's awesome. spring. Uh, yeah, you, as noted in your background. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I'd, why don't we start off the show by just, you know, you telling us a little bit about um, yourself and um, your career trajectory. Sure. Thank you. Well, again, thank you for having me today. Uh, as you mentioned, I currently work at ICBA and I have been here for be two years, April 1st, imagine that, um, and uh, have been in human resources for, Lord have mercy, about 25 years. I got into human resources back in college. I um, actually worked for a community bank and didn't know at that time it was a community bank. Life goes full circle, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. It was supposed to be a uh, part-time job to you know augment funds while in college. And at the time I was majoring in nursing. I went through my orientation process through the bank, my first kind of real job, and was like, oh my gosh, I could do her job. I want her job. And went to look further into what the job was in terms of the orientation and human resources. Uh, changed my major, went and got my master's and have had a, a great career. There was one advice that a professor gave me when I was at the Ohio State University. And uh, he said, um, to be a great human resources practitioner, uh, learn all the aspects of HR. You can at later time uh, focus on one area, but learn all the aspects. And the reason why I say that was such great advice is because it has led me through the career path that I've had, where I've had the opportunities to learn the whole side of HR, figure out what I really like, which was still the learning and development piece of it. But now as a leader within HR, I know what each of the functional areas go through, what they need to be able to best support my staff. And so for me, that advice is what's gotten me to where I am today. Uh, um, you know, um, I got similar advice um, during my um, illustrious I say that tongue in cheek, illustrious career as an HR um, professional. And um, I think the worst 18 months of my life was being a comp analyst. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, seriously, this is what I'm going to do. And they were like, you want to have a career in HR? You got to understand comp. And I was like, Whoa. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. So tell me about, um, you know, your, your, um, your likes and dislikes in the in the journey of learning all the aspects aspects of HR. Sure, sure. Um, so I've had opportunities to lead up um, benefits. Uh, so got to really understand op the um, optics around um, uh, being self insured, fully insured. What does that mean for the employee? How do you manage those communications when you've got to change vendors or even worse, change your premiums? Um, and still, you know, kind of maintain employee engagement, um, stopping pension plans as through the career has been a you know big one because that's a huge aspect for individuals retirement. 
um, from a learning and development perspective. My actually my first job was in uh, training, so I didn't realize what a great experience I was having at the time. But it was management training through what was then called Arthur Anderson, uh, and so I got to sit in and that training um, that we were putting our leaders through was as I helped to um, cultivate the administrative side. I was early in my career, um, but really getting that exposure to the conversations has has been huge. Uh, you mentioned compensation. Uh, had to set up a compensation structure. Thankfully, I had a consultant, but we became friends. Um, and I learned a lot from her. <laughs> um, and, and it's been very helpful. I'm, I'm by no means a master at it, but I do understand the principles of it. I um, understand how to slice and dice the data um, and to, to come up with uh, solutions and recommendations and supporting our leaders as they do salary recommendations, you know, from a new hire perspective, promotions, changes, and things of that nature. Uh, as all of us employee relations um, have, have, you know, we all got our horror stories around that. Um, but I have, you know, really most recently come to, you know, enjoy this employee engagement perspective. And I think because it's so different now. Uh, and it's challenging because as ICBA, we've decided to remain in a very hybrid format. Uh, we don't have required days that you need to be in the office or required number of days. Uh, we are doing presence for a purpose. And that creates a whole new level of what employee engagement means. And that presence for a purpose is both at the organizational level, as we celebrate and recognize certain things that we want staff to come in for, or at the department level. And so training managers on how to create those purposeful um, conversations or meetings with their staff uh, to create that in-person environment uh, and then ensure that our culture remains. And then that becomes a new question of, well, is the old culture what we're trying to get back to or is it time to take a refresh look and kind of create some new cultural tenets that actually reflect who ICBA is today? Because we're not who we were um, back in 2019. Uh, so that really has become fun to me. It, it, before it wasn't because I think it's this, it was a stigma of OHRs oh, having parties and the, being the party planner. And I wanted to stay as far away from that stigma, which is probably why I stayed away from that employee engagement type. But now because it is completely different and the um, ripple effect that I really see that it has across the organization and, and this new connection from afar has become really fun for me. So talk to me about that. I love the concept of presence with a purpose. Talk to me about uh, what that means in your organization. Sure. So as I mentioned, we don't have designated days. And, and I repeat that again, only because I am here. It's interesting when you first went in the pandemic, remote is fine. It's the work-life balance. It's, everything is great. And then now the news is saying today how important it is for people to be back in the office and having those um, in-person connections with their staff and bring your staff in. And organizations are moving towards either defined days um, in the week that they need to be in the office. And we really leaned in on this presence for a purpose. And what that entails at the organizational level is that we look from a calendar perspective and coming up with themes that create opportunities to come into the office. So last month in February, we had um, our board um, elect come in um, for specific meetings and we were able to utilize their time to actually have lunch with staff. And because it was Black History Month, we identified a local African-American 
restaurant to cater for us. So really combining those two opportunities together to bring our staff in. Uh, we also have opportunities this um, spring coming up for training with our managers. So we are creating some in-person training with them that's intentional um, and having them come in for that. And, and the calendar kind of continues, and that's at the organizational level that brings you know cross departments coming in and, and engaging with each other. The departmental level uh, meetings as we're training our managers, these are your opportunities to have your one-on-ones, your strategic sessions, you know, your monthly, you know, bring everybody together and talk about where the department is going. So kind of working like on the business versus just in the business. We do have a lot of those in the business conversations of the day-to-day tactics, but take that time once a month to really get everyone together and talk about the on the business, what needs to come up for the next quarter. Our performance excellence, which is our word for performance management, has those quarterly check-ins built in, has the goals built in. And so using that system as a mechanism for your in-person meetings is very important to keep that alive. And it's not just this end of year throw up of everything I've done, but you've had those engaging conversations and everybody's got the same expectations of what's to come in the next month or two months. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the year-end performance management is... um... You know, I started my career in healthcare and performance management in healthcare is, it it is, it's different, right? So it's, um, it it really focuses around um, compliance and patient care Mm -hmm. and uh, your accreditation status, right? So it's like this, this like annual thing you have to do, Um, (laughs) but really um, the opportunity to coach and grow and develop and keep uh, on track and help, um, you know, achieve the business goals right. is it's not once a year. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right? exactly. Um, so tell me, did you, is this something you implemented? Tell me, um, you know, about that. Yes, certainly. It it is. Um, So historically, the organization did the end of year. Let me write you a um, thesis on um, what I've accomplished this year. And there was a huge lack of transparency as to how that then translated into both bonuses and merit increases. So it really was just a a diary of what you've done. Um, And it was important, not only for me, but for our CEO and our CFO to create transparency around these HR processes that have historically just occurred behind a black curtain. And then a manager would hand them a paper and, you know, here's your merit and bonus for this year with no ties at all to performance. And so we redid our bonus program in conjunction with this new performance excellence system. So the bonus program for all levels is a 50-50 split between organizational goals as well as individual goals. And on the organizational side, um, it was finances, things related to our members, things that in some aspect, every single department should be touching and is touching. And then we use the opportunity through our monthly town halls. We have member moments to talk about the various departments that touched a certain thing that created magic uh, and and showed how all of these little things then drive to these metrics 
And so we're really all in together on the organizational side. On the goal side, it wasn't as easy. Um, like kind of like healthcare, you know, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of the year. I, you know, don't know what fire is going to come up and you want me to write a goal that's going to say I'm achieve this fire. But what it was, was really starting to get people to realize that, yes, every department's got its fair share of fires that occurs each year. But you also should be strategically thinking about what you want to accomplish. Where do you want to see the department by the end of this year? What um, process improvements need to incur? Uh, what technological improvements need to occur to allow you to do your job more efficient, faster, et cetera, so that you have more time to fight these fires? Is there a way to fight the fires that become more efficient um, for you? And so really starting to get um, a, a, a mind shift change around yes. that because that creates a proactive mindset versus the reactive of, let me just tell you what I did this year. Um, and, and that was a struggle last year, to be honest, but this year, um, HR really leaned in to help and support. So we had um, individual meetings with each department to talk about what you've done last year, how does that affect this year, and starting them to get to think strategically around their goals. And then we also had open hour sessions. So hopefully once the leader started to cascade that information down as staff was creating their goals, they had a outreach to HR Okay, so specifically, how do I write this goal? And we help them through that process. And so I'm really hopeful and excited for this year to see as we're kind of in year two of our performance excellence, how that um, matures as we get through to the annual review process. And then lastly, with our um, annual review, it had more formal ratings. And um, we coined ourselves as a high performing organization. And so really doing another mind shift change around being a solid performer, our bar is like up here. And so getting staff to understand that that is actually really good. And, you know, that is a mind shift because everybody thinks, you know, meets or solid is a C. And because our expectations are so high with this high performing culture, it's really not a C. It's like a B plus A minus. And this year, starting to continue those conversations around that. So when we get to the annual review, ensuring that everyone is on the same page and expectations are the same. And then also that leaders are sharing expectations of what does exemplary look like so that staff do know what that delta is and give them opportunities to, you know, take that stretch and try to reach for it. Yeah, I, you know, this is, uh, you know, I'm kind of putting together two things that you've talked about. And one was um, looking at the culture before mm -hmm. COVID and thinking about our new way of working mm -hmm. and which is something that's so big on so many people's minds is right. what is the future of work um, and adjusting culture to meet the new world of work. So it, it sounds like the uh, accountability, culture of accountability and how you sort of manage that accountability is a big shift in your organization. Definitely. I mean, pre-COVID, I mean, everybody was in the office every day. The organization had no next to no telework. It was, you know, on needed emergency kind of basis. And so accountability was I'm here, I'm in my seat, nine to five, you know, I'm doing my work. We're all good. 
And, and now that we're hybrid, it's completely different. Accountability shows up through our product. Right. And our work much differently than just physically being the butts in the seats. So tell me, um, tell me how the organization reacted to that. Um, who is this new HR lady that you guys brought in? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I would say that I, I've had a few circumstances most recently that has affirmed that I've built the trust. And so that's what it is. It was building the trust. Um, yes, they were stunned and, and trying to figure out, but I, I built trust with my executive team and that trust within the executive team helped them because they had to be catalysts and communication um, means as well for these changes um, and getting their support and, and understanding and also seeing the, you know, the future. The way we implemented it was building the plane as it was flying. You know, a lot of some organizations do everything behind the scenes and have it perfect and then roll it out. And so staff had to go through some bumps along the way and minor changes as things be came together. I you know, honestly feel like having that opportunity to build the plane while it was flying created that transparency. It allowed to say, okay, this really didn't work as well. So we're going to change it to this. And it, and it built some trust with staff that we were listening um, to them when they did provide feedback. And we took that feedback and, and actually used that feedback to make some of the changes. But in the end, when they were really able to see everything come together and understand that not only do you, you have clearer connections from your performance to what that pay is. I mean, you know, as, as much as we tout that there's a lot of things that people want other than pay, people still want to have some ownership over their pay. And this gave that to them mm. that they've never had before. And, and that, I think, last piece that they were able to say, okay, I see this, this plus this equals this. And I could have gotten this. And I know now for next year, if I really work harder, this is on the table for me. Is, is going to help them move the organization that much further. Because now you think about how many, how many more people are going to be like, I, I really got to work hard. I really want to stretch. I really want to grow because I know that that dollar amounts on the table if I'm able to prove and show that versus before where there, there, there wasn't anything that they had that showed if this, then that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Talk to me about some of the, um, feedback that you got, you know, specific feedback that you implemented and made changes because of? Sure. Um, so uh, our, there were I think, two iterations around our um, labels that we gave for the annual uh, review. Uh, feedback we got was, hey, can you just go back to not having any labels at all organizations, you know, are moving away from it. I feel like we're moving backwards by, by like, I'm sorry. What do you mean by label? The, um, like having a does not meets meets. Um, oh, oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. Um, ratings, um, I guess I should say, yeah. uh, within the annual review. Um, and, a, um, you know, from that perspective, having to share that, um, there, there's a part of that that's right, that organizations were moving away from it. But the part that you're missing is, is twofold. One, 
they were moving away from solely having an annual review to this idea of continuous conversations, which is also part of um, our mantra, which makes the, the annual review not a complete diary of your previous year, but really the focus is in on your, your goals and, and your behaviors towards our cultural tenets. Um, but it, again, it also provides parameters for our bonus program because there's certain targets within um, the bonus program that based on which rating you would get, you would get a certain target for your bonus. The other feedback was then on the nomenclature. Um, there was, we had strong performer um, and, and as, as a representation of what tradition would be like a meets. And um, there was feedback that strong is a, a negative connotation or that women um, have a negative connotation with that word strong. Um, and so I don't wanna be labeled that way as a woman. Um, so we, we really work to, to create what's now we call solid. Um, but then within solid, having to again reiterate that solid is really, really good. Um, we knew that meets as a word would not satisfy that description um, that we had. Uh, the other feedback that we got was the amount. Um, so we originally only had four. So there was um, the really low one, like, you know, just not satisfactory, almost on a pip. And then it was the equivalent to a meet, succeeds, and exemplary. And there was concern that um, the people who are barely meeting are getting the same as the people who are highly meeting. And so they wanted another um, lower level one. So we um, created a fifth. So we now have five that um, reflect, um, does not meet needs improvement, which that person does have an opportunity to still get maybe some portion of their bonus or merit. It would be individually decided. Um, and then our solid exceeds and exemplary. So we went from four to five. Gotcha. Um and uh, so talk to me about how technology enables this process. That was a big key. Um, we switched our HRIS system last year too. Um, and that allowed us to, to have this system, uh, the performance excellence system. So we have, um, we're using Ceridian and that system did allow us to have um, the, the ratings, the self-review, um, from the staff member and the goals as well. So kind of starting with the goals, the goals are then pulled automatically into the reviews, uh, the continuous check-ins and then those conversations that are documented are pulled into the review. So that way you can have a full reflection of the year. Again, not just that, that one, one moment in time. And then, Excuse me. Lastly, it was then the ability to do the kind of one over one so leaders could see HR had more insight into seeing and could um, pull reports. So before things were finalized, um, we pulled reports, um, looked at things from in the department perspective, especially because there was a lot of um, escalation in ratings. <laughs> and so trying to identify which departments um, kind of were our biggest offenders, so to speak. And it really wasn't necessarily offenders. I want to say it was learning. Right. So we, di we didn't go and say, you've got the wrong numbers. It was, let's talk about what do you really see and making sure that we were all on the same page. And our president was very 
um, leaned in very heavy on helping to have those conversations of outlining her expectations mm. of what performance would look like at exemplary and an excellent. So we didn't um, have a, a numerical mantra in terms of you can only have X percent, but it really was now that we've shared all this knowledge about what our expectations are, we want you to go back and, and take a second look and make sure that what you've rated is a, in alignment with what those expectations are. Also, when we're running reports, looking at it from demographics perspective as well, gender um, as well as ethnicity, and just looking at percentages at each rating level to ensure that there weren't any anomalies, um, in, you know, unintentional anomalies there um, in terms of uh, the de deltas between the gender and or racial ethnicities and you know, you're not having um, um, the unconscious bias kind of creep in there. Right, indeed, indeed. So I wanted to touch upon something that you you spoke about and that is the building trust. Yes. And, um, you know, like, you've only been in your organization for two years and have clearly um, implemented some significant changes to the way work is done, to the way that we, um, you know, pay people and evaluate talent. Um, and, you know, I remember somebody asking me once, like, how do you build relationships? And I was like, but, and I was like, I don't know, I just do it. And, and, you know, so, you know, I'm asking you not to answer my question with, I don't know, I just do it. But I, talk to me about the process of, of building trust and, you know, um, maybe not just um, big picture and what works or how it worked, but where something might have gone wrong and how you had to fix it. Sure, sure. Um, for me, it's being open, available at all levels. Um, and uh, we have, Dispersed staff, so staff, we have a cohort of staff that's in Minnesota. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not a cold bird, but I went out there in the cold <laughs> for their holiday party um, my first year because I felt like it was important to make physical connection with that team um, early on. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's uh, saying, being that front person to talk about these changes could have very easily had someone else on the HR team, you know, say, Hey, here's our new performance management system. And here's what you're going to go do. I felt that it was important that they hear it directly from me and be available to answer questions uh, for them and create that open line as well as the transparency. Um, but to your point, it doesn't always go as we expect. And there's 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 bumps in the road with that trust. Um, one area didn't go as well was around some compensation changes. Um, we were running behind the scenes a compensation study to, to evaluate where we were against the market. And uh, we had individuals whom said, okay, well, we got new leadership in all the things that didn't work in the past with compensation, let's, you know, bring them into this new leader and, um, you know, ha have them implement it now um, for, for individual compensation changes. And um, at the time we weren't sharing that we were doing the compensation study. So I, I honestly had to dance around that piece a little bit, but because of dancing around, it caused delays 
and, and having any actions and, and the delays created mistrust because they, they didn't know exactly, um, you know, it just didn't, it felt like, okay, so same, same thing that I was getting in the past, I'm, I'm getting again when trying to um, get some support for compensation changes for people on my team. Um, so I was able at the end of the year to, to go back to those individuals um, and not necessarily share all why there was this, this dance, so to speak, but it's let's really understand, let's talk about what occurred in the past. I can't fix the past. And I'm, you know, from compensation, I'm not going to say, well, the person didn't get $10,000 two years ago. So I'm going to give it to them today because it's, and, and really then use it as an opportunity to educate about compensation and looking at the market, looking at internal and all the things that you and I just said we hate to have to do. Um, but ex that had never been explained to managers before because there right. was that lack of transparency. And so then now creating some new transparency around. How do you manage compensation? How do we look at it, et cetera, et cetera, that rebuilt that trust with those leaders. And while, you know, at the end, there's, it still wasn't exactly what they came to the table. They had were armed with information they could share with their staff and be able to make informed decisions about what was the right compensation change and not just this magic number from two, three years Ooh. ago. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we've talked uh, a lot about the um, uh, the role that compensation plays in engagement. And, um, you know, certainly there are other aspects of employee engagement that really, or other aspects of the employee life cycle that really impact engagement. And, you know, sort of starting at the very beginning, I would say onboarding is a key component of setting up um, the, uh, you know, the beginning, um, well, actually recruitment starts the real beginning, but <laughs> starting up there, they're, they're joining Our the journey, family, if you will, yeah. right? Your yeah. journey, your real journey, the um, not pre-planning, but the journey. So, right. um, and, you know, onboarding, particularly in um, virtual environments can be, um, uh, you know, mediocre at best, if mm -hmm. you will. Um, and you know, talk to me about, um, so you joined while everybody was hybrid. Right. Um, talk to me about the onboarding process that, that maybe you received and that you, um, uh, that you have implemented. Sure. So yeah, I was, I was the COVID baby hire. Um, <laughs> and you know, who better to, to get hired during COVID the head of HR, right? Because really it's a test of, you know, what's working, exactly. what's not working. Um, and, and, and be able to then implement change. So, so right. what an awesome opportunity there. Um, you know, I, I will say my onboarding probably was slightly different than what others experience, um, you know, being an executive for the organization. Um, but what I did say is that experience that I got that, that same white glove, I don't understand why we're not giving that to, to everyone. I, I, you know, as, as an executive, I shouldn't be the only one that's receiving um, this white glove treatment. And people were like, huh, what does, so what does that mean? Um, and it meant all the, the things that were connection points that I got exposed to. Okay. Before Valerie comes on board, make sure that we have meetings assigned with all the leaders, those first two weeks so she can meet them and get to know them, you know, the computer and the timing of 
um, the computer arrival and IT scheduling, um, the, the call with me to make sure everything was set up in my home so I could be prepared for an 8.30 meeting my first day um, were things that I experienced that I wanted to then figure out how do we replicate and add to. Um, and what we've done is starting off to your point, that journey beginning at the recruitment at the point where they have accepted their offer and we've solidified a start date. We send out a care package to their home with a note from our CEO welcoming them to ICBA. We use our manager portal that has a um, template for managers to use to also send an email to that person welcoming them to their department. On their orientation, if they are a DC area or Minnesota area where we have an office, we make that in person and we let everybody know they've got to be in person that day uh, for that orientation, everyone who's part of it, whether it's IT, obviously the department, HR, we're all in person to do that orientation for that individual. We ensure that department does lunch with them to create that connection point immediately with not only the manager, but the rest of the department. In terms of getting to meet the other departments, and again, I felt it was important that everyone knew the executives, we actually have a rotation of um, kind of lunches with our execs, and those can be virtual. They're not forced to be in person, but it gives them an opportunity to share an overview of their department, better understand the organization. We do do lunch with our CEO that we do do in person for those here in the uh, D.C. area. We have um, come in and share lunch. Uh, so we also have um, opportunities with our fund committee and events to make sure that that new hire is brought into um, those events as well. We do check-ins um, at the 30, 60, 90 day from an HR perspective to make sure that um, they're you know, doing good, everything's going well. We actually call our year one um, anniversary a milestone. We don't wait till five years. Um, so year one is actually a milestone to celebrate um, that they've made it through that year. And I shouldn't say made it because <laughs> I kind of successfully got there. Uh, and so it's really a continuous checkpoints in with that person uh, and as well as combining, again, presence for a purpose with them because yeah. of our hybrid environment. Uh, you know, I will agree that there are benefits to having in-person connections. Um, and while we are in this environment, we've got to be very intentional about creating that because that creates that stickiness, in my opinion. Um, of them. And it actually gets to see the the culture living and breathing that you can't see sometimes on a screen. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So what's next? <laughs> what's on the docket for 2023 for you? <laughs> right. <laughs> what's next? So um, it's actually taken the opportunity to reevaluate our cultural tenants. Um, the, the cultural tenants we've had have been in place for a long time. Um, we want to do a um, bottoms up approach you know, to our evaluating our cultural tenants. Do do we still resonate with them? Or have things changed and, and get staff's input and um, then share that with leaders and then use that new cultural tenants to then um, mature more our performance excellence and making sure that that our reward and re recognition, even our interviewing are all tied uh, to um, our new cultural tenants. 
And I would say the, the last piece of um, area is um, process improvement. Um, as I mentioned, we implemented a new system last year. And so really working through um, increased efficiencies, digitization of processes um, that didn't exist before uh, to allow us to have more face time with staff. That's fantastic. Um, anything you want to leave us with in terms of um, advice for other um, HR leaders and sort of, um, you know, you talked about getting great advice from one of your teachers in the beginning of this. What would you, what kind of advice would you give to a, uh, a, a newbie in the HR world? Sure. Um, the biggest thing I've learned in the past couple of years is giving grace. Um, in, in, in HR, we're hit with so many different employee relations issues. Uh, we, I think we tend to get numb, kind of maybe like doctors, you know, they, they see so many bad things so often they tend to get numb by it. Um, and, and when we get numb, we, we tend to lose some of that humanity and being able to help manage the process. And it's super important not to lose that grace. You never know mm -hmm. what someone is going through mm -hmm. outside of work that, cause the reaction or the the actions of, of an individual um, and and in giving grace allows that opportunity to step back kind of have that conversation and assess and be able to to then make decisions on what's next that's great advice I love that um thank you Valerie I've enjoyed thank our conversation um, appreciate the um, insights you've given around setting up some really, um, really uh, strong business changing programs um, while we're working in this new world of work. So thank you so much for your time. And I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having me, Holly. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. Before we go, we want to thank the sponsor of our show, the Mid-Atlantic Employers Association, more commonly referred to as MEA. MEA provides human resources services to hundreds of businesses across numerous industries every day, bridging gaps that restrain innovation and growth. If you need support around people issues, reach out to meainfo.org. Better people, better outcomes.